0: Well, good morning. How is everybody? If you are joining us online, so glad you're with us. If you're in Bearden, you're in Amp, you're in Roan County, you're in Blend, you're wherever you are, we're glad that you're with us. We are actually starting a new series this weekend called Building Faith. And what we're going to see in this series is that in the lives of God's people, Faith is built over time. And I just got to tell you right from the outset, I don't like that. (laughs) I wish I did. I wish I loved that like it's all about the journey. I, there's so many times in my life that I just wish that when you believe in Jesus, he just gives you all the faith right up front. And you're like, I'm good. I'm walking with Jesus and it's great. But what happens? What do we see in scripture? And what have you probably experienced in your own life? is that it's as you walk with Jesus, and you stumble, and you fall, and as you do all that relationship with Jesus, that's when your faith grows. And if we're going to be doing a series called Building Faith, we probably should have kind of a working definition of what faith is. And Hebrews 11.1 really gives us a good definition of what faith is. The author of Hebrews writes, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of of things unseen it's the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen and so really when you think about what faith is faith is based upon the character of the one trusted does that make sense So so if we say we have faith in God, what we are essentially saying is that we are trusting who God is and who he says he is. Really, another way to put it, if we're going to sum it up, is that we can say faith is taking God at his word. Faith is taking God at his word. And what does that mean? It means we believe. Faith is taking God at his word. And what we see throughout Scripture nothing pleases God more than when we take God at his word. Nothing pleases him more. He gets mad in the Old Testament at the sacrifices, and he goes, would you just believe me? Would you just trust me? Would you just place your faith in me? A foundational point that needs to be made, and we're going to see it in our passage today, is this, is that God is the one who initiates faith. God initiates faith. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about that for a moment. If you read in the Bible, you read places like Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has this incredible vision of the very throne room of God, and it says, the veil filled the temple. I mean, incredible picture, and and it's in Isaiah 6, it's in Revelation 4, where you have these crazy creatures, like these six-winged creatures with eyeballs everywhere, and it, like, weird heads on them, lions, heads, eagles, all these crazy things. And what are those crazy creatures? They're surrounding the throne of God. And what are they saying? Holy. Now, if you just say holy, holy means set apart, completely other, completely distinguished, like nothing else. And if you repeat a word, especially in scriptures, and if we repeat things, I mean, moms, you get this, like, don't make me say it again, right? And like, When you repeat things, there's an emphasis to it. And so you have these crazy creatures surrounding the throne of God, and they're saying, holy, holy, but that's not enough, holy. They repeat it three times. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So think about this for a second. If God is completely separate, completely other, God is infinite, in power, in might. He is outside of time. He is timeless. There are so many things about God that the only way that our finite little minds can ever understand anything about God is if God comes and chooses to reveal to us things about himself in ways that we can go, I think I get it. That's the only way. So how can we trust God? How can we even have faith in God? The only way we have faith in God is because God, in the first place, has chosen to reveal himself to us. So faith, when we think about it that way, is truly a gift from God. God initiates faith. God is the one who grows faith. When I think about that in my own story, I I, I submitted my life to Jesus when I was 10 years old. 10 years old, I was at this camp, and I was staying in a covered wagon. That was, that's what we stayed in. It wasn't a cabin, it was a covered wagon, and all the covered wagons were named after states. So here I was in the covered wagon of Pennsylvania. And I remember laying on my bunk. Now, I grew up in a Christian home and, and my parents took me to church and they shared with me about Jesus and all these different things. But when I was 10 years old, sitting on my bottom bunk of my covered wagon, Pennsylvania, I remember praying and going, Lord, I need this for myself. Now, I placed in my trust in Jesus at that point, as much as a 10-year-old little boy can understand. And I trusted him with my life. And, and, but here's the reality The only reason that I knew about Jesus at 10 years old is because my parents were revealing the truths about who God was, not only in our home. I was learning about it in our home. I was learning about it in church. I was learning about it at camp. So God was revealing himself to me through my parents, through the church, through this camp. And if we go back further, the only reason my parents could reveal God to me is because God had been revealed to them through other people in their worlds. And we can go back and back and back and back. And it just points to the the reality that faith doesn't just appear out of thin air. Faith appears. Why? Because God has chosen to reveal himself to you. Why are you sitting here today? Why have many, many of you in this room online, any venue, why have you believed and submitted your life to Jesus? Is because God has chosen to reveal. God is the one who initiates faith, and we're going to see that in Genesis chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them. If it's on your phone, turn it on, whatever you need to do, Genesis chapter 15 is where we're going to be. So it's a beautiful passage of Abram and God's covenant with him. Says this in Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1. It says after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, "O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus." And Abraham said, "Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household is going to be my heir." And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heavens and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said, So shall your offspring be. And this is a crucial verse. And he, Abram, believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. And God said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of the land, out of Ur of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess. But, but Abram said, oh Lord God, how am I to know that I'm going to possess it? And God said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a partridge in a pear tree. I'm just kidding, it says a young pigeon right after that. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation and that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete." When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the, from the uh, river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Canaanites, and all the other ites, all that land is going to be yours. This is such an important, important passage, especially Genesis 15, verse 6, and Abram believed God, he trusted him, he placed his faith in him, and God did what? Counted it to him as righteousness. And that is an important passage, not only for the Jewish people, but for people like Paul and James in the New Testament. As we look at this passage, I want us to notice something. That's not just true in this passage. In fact, it's repeated a couple times in this passage. It's true here, but it's also true in our lives as well. And it's a a thing that I am calling the faith loop. And the faith loop. And here's what the faith loop looks like. The faith loop always starts with God revealing. Look at verse 1 again. God comes to Abram and goes, Abram, I'm your great shield. God essentially comes and he, he's revealing something about the character of himself. He's going, Abram, I'm the one who's been taking care of you. I'm the one who's been protecting you. Uh, if you go back to Genesis 14 and, and read in there, Abram's gone to battle. I mean, there are certain things that Abram's done. And God's saying, I'm the one who has been taking care of you. I've protected you. I'm your shield. And he goes, and I'm your great reward. God's revealing something about his character. And what we're going to see in this passage is that essentially the story repeats twice. So in verse 1, God comes and reveals his character. And in verse 7, God does that again. He says in verse 7, he says, I'm the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land you possess. God's going, I'm the God of history. I'm the God of the present. And I'm going to give you the land to possess it. I'm the God of the future. God's revealing his character to Abram. He goes, Abram, I'm the one who called you. I'm the one who initiated. I'm the one who's doing all of this on your behalf. You see, God is revealing his character, and trusting God comes from God coming and revealing who he is. You see, God is revealing his character, and the faith loop starts always with God revealing something about himself. He's still in the business of doing that today, isn't he? But then what's fascinating is that the second part of the loop is that there's a season of questioning. There's a season of questioning God comes to Abram, Abram, I'm your protector. I'm the one who's taking care of you. Your reward shall be great. And what does Abram understand the reward to be? Abram understands this interaction in light of Genesis chapter 12, where God came to Abram and said, Abram, guess what? I'm going to make you into a great nation. You're going to have land. You're going to have so many descendants. And and guess what? I'm going to make you a blessing to the whole world." And so here we have time passed, and God says, your reward is going to be great, and Abram understands that to be kids. So what does Abram do? He goes, God, um, what's fascinating, I'm not a big Hebrew person, I, you know, I don't know it that well, and, and, um, but what's, what's crazy is that the Hebrews even like jumbled here. It's almost like Abram's flustered, he's a little bit frustrated, and he's like, God, I don't even have an heir. I don't have a kid. And Eliezer, my servant's going to be my heir. Now you got to understand culturally in this day, if a, if a couple didn't have a kid and they were wealthy like Abram was, they'd have servants in their household. So as they aged, what they would do is that they would adopt one of the servants essentially and the servant would take care of them in their old age. And then guess what? When they died... That servant be, was the heir. That was the son. That, that servant would receive everything of the family estate. And so Abram's frustrated, and, and he's going, God, you're saying my reward's going to be great? You're saying I'm going to be a great nation? Abram's essentially saying, he's like, last time I checked, in order to be a great nation, you've got to have people. <laughs> and I have zero. I've got Eliezer. That's it. And he's not even my own kid. Abram questions God. We get to verse 7 and God comes and he says, Abram, I'm going to give you the land. This land is going to be yours. And what does Abram do? Abram, the father of faith, does what? Comes to God and goes, how do I know? How how do I know that I'm going to possess it? Like what what can you, I don't even know anymore. And I got to stop right here for a minute this like this passage is one of the reasons why I love the Bible so much because it's real. I did youth ministry for a long long time, still involved in a lot of ways in youth ministry, love youth ministry and what they what has been true of youth ministry then and it's true of youth ministry now is that one of the biggest problems in, in youth culture and youth ministry is that the youth of our day don't think that the church is able to to handle the big questions they have about life and so they don't think that the church is a safe place to ask questions and so what do they do they push the questions aside they take this thing called blind faith and that's what they think Christianity is because they don't think the church can handle the questions and too often the church hasn't handled good questions well questions about identity, questions about sexual ethics, questions, all these big questions that reside in teenagers' minds. And so in their minds, they're going, the church isn't big enough to handle it, therefore God's not big enough to handle it. But it's not just youth culture, is it? Because I think if we're honest with ourselves, we have lots of questions in our heads and in our minds. Questions about faith, questions about God, questions about life. And what I love is that Abram shows us that questioning, and and before I get there, here's the problem, is that too often in the church, we think, we have this stigma, that if I ask questions, it shows a lack of faith. That if I ask the question, you really don't believe, and what were your call to, well, you just start to believe, so don't ask that question. So questions show a lack of faith, and I think what Abram shows us here is that questions don't show a lack of faith, questions actually grow our faith. And here's something that I, if you're, if you're a young adult in here, if you're a student in here online, whatever campus menu, I just got to tell you, adults, students alike, God is absolutely big enough and is not threatened by your question. He's not. And this better be a safe place where we can ask the questions. Why? Because if I learn anything here, Abram asks the questions. If he's the father of faith, we read in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Abram left Ur. By faith, Abram did this. By faith, by faith, by faith. And what does Abram do when God comes to him and says, hey, you're going to have an heir. Your reward's going to be great. He goes, I don't get it. I don't know how it's going to happen. It's the very same question that Mary asks when an angel comes to her and says, Mary, guess what? Great news. You're going to have a kid, and it's not just going to be any kid. It's going to be the Savior of the world. And Mary goes, time out. Um, how's that going to work? She asks a question. A faith loop. Questions are important parts of faith. Abram questions, Mary questions, we see it throughout scripture. Questions are not a bad thing, but do you see who they went to with their questions? They went to God with their questions. And God is big enough, is strong enough, and powerful enough to handle your questions. So what happens in a faith loop? God comes, He reveals something about who He is. We question, and then what does God do? God shames Abram and says, that's it, Abram, we're done. No, that's not what he does. God actually comes and assures Abram. God brings assurance to him. If we look in verse 5, this is kind of the famous part of the story where we see see God bring him out into the night sky. And you can't think of, like, Knoxville, like, light pollution, night sky. you got to think of, like, an empty desert with no light pollution. And God says, look up at the stars. He goes, Abram, can you count all those? And I can imagine Abram's like, one, two, no. Uh Uh-uh. And God goes, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And then Abram does what? Uh, He says, um, the second question that Abram says is like, how do I know I'm going to possess it? And what does God do? God assures him by ratifying the covenant that he introduced to him in chapter 12. Chapter 12 is the introduction of the covenant. Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you lots of people and land, and you are going to be a blessing. God introduces the covenant. And then what does God do? God uses culturally normal things that Abram would have understood to show the ratification of the covenant. Let's be honest, it's a weird bloody ceremony, isn't it? Hey, Abram, go get a heifer, a ram, all these animals three years old, and what Abram had to do? Cut them in half. That's kind of gross, let's be honest. Cut them in half, and then what happens? Typically in a covenant, Abram would have understood this. In a covenant, what would happen is, is that there was a promise, an oath being made between two people, and the people, the parties who were making the covenant, would pass through these dead animals, and essentially what it was saying was, may it be to me if I break this covenant as it is to these animals. Basically, they were saying, I swear on my life that I will fulfill my part of the covenant. And what's fascinating in this is that there's only one party who passes through the dead animals, and it's God. And he shows up as a smoking pot and a flaming torch, and God himself passes through. It's almost as if God is going, I I can swear by no one and nothing greater than myself, so I'm swearing by myself that I am going to give you the land. Now, it's going to be delayed. It's gonna, there's going to be a season of waiting. Abram, you're going to live a ripe old age and you're going to die in peace. It's going to be fine for you. But your descendants, the ones that I promised you, they're going to be in a land that's not their own for 400 years. They're going to be servants. But guess what? They're going to come out okay. They're going to be in this land in the fourth generation. And he swears by himself and he establishes a covenant with him. And what we see is that Covenant nowadays looks a little bit different. But God assured Abram with covenant. And when I think about that assurance that God comes to assure us as followers of Christ, is that the assurance of faith comes now through the Holy Spirit. We have assurance of our faith through the Holy Spirit. So God may not take us into the desert night sky. He might not give us a crazy vision of a pot, smoking pot and a flaming torch, but Paul writes about the assurance that we have in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14, it says, in him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, hear this, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I don't know any other verse that deserves an amen as much as this verse. That, do you hear the language that you are getting sealed with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit comes in us and lives and dwells in us as a seal? And do you hear the word? It's a guarantee. Now, this is not like the Vitamix guarantee, right? Like, this Vitamix is promised never to rust, crust, clack, chip, cracker, peel, any of that stuff. No, no, this is a real guarantee made by whom? None other than God. Who can swear by no one greater than himself? And he comes and he goes, This is a guarantee. When you have my Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a seal upon you. It's a guarantee that what I say, I am going to do. When Jesus says, I'm going and I'm going to prepare a place for you, but if I go to prepare a place for you, guess what? I'm going to come back for you in much the same way that I left. That's a guarantee, that's a promise and it's sealed with the Holy Spirit. You see, honestly, this past week, um, actually this past couple of weeks, it's been, it's been a crazy, crazy season in the Nichols household. It's just been, it's wild. And there's a lot of things going on. And, and honestly, it's been a, a pretty emotional couple weeks for me. And there's a lot of people, there's people I work with, I won't name names, but um, there's people I work with who are like, Dave, you're not a very emotional person. In fact, sometimes they say, do you, do you feel anything? And I'm like, I do sometimes, yeah. Just because I don't show it always on my face, like I, I feel things, and they're like, mm-hmm. So, and they go for, I think it's a love language thing, I hope, right guys, it's love, okay. Anyway, um, we'll work that out later. but. But it's been a pretty emotional couple weeks for me. There's been great joys and there's been things that have have like risen up that that have been just hard. And and so it's kind of, it's life, really, isn't it? Like there's great joys and there's great hearts all in the midst of it. And in the last couple weeks, I feel like I've been living in that place. And I've had a couple conversations with really some godly men who've encouraged me. And they're like, well, well, you know, you're. You, you go to God with that. And it's like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I needed people to speak into my life because here's my tendency. Here's what I want to do when things that are hard present themselves. Here's what I want to do. I want to figure it out myself. And I want to solve it and I want to try to work through it in ways that I'm sitting there going, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. And guess what happens? I end up frustrated at myself. I end up frustrated with people around me. And I had these godly men speaking into my life going, are you going to the Lord with it? Oh, yeah, I probably should do that, huh? And over this last week, especially, I've been really intentional of going to the Lord, of just pouring out my heart to God. And guess what? The Holy Spirit actually brings assurance. The Holy Spirit actually does what he says he will do. It's incredible. But here's what God didn't do. God didn't solve my problem. God didn't say, here's what I just do X, Y, Z and I'll solve your problem. Guess what God didn't do for Abram? He didn't solve Abram's problem. God comes and he says, Abram goes, how do I know I'm going to have an heir? I have no kids. And what does God do? He brings him out into the desert and says, look up at the stars. He didn't give him a plan moving forward. He just says, you got to trust me. Take me at my word. Have faith in me. You will have a son. He didn't solve the problem. He didn't say, here's when you're going to have a son. You're going to wait till you're about 99 and you're about, your reproductive system is about as good as dead and so will Sarah's and that's when I'm going to worry. He doesn't lay out the plan. He just says, trust me in the midst of the plan and, and I felt like God was sitting there going, are you going to trust me in the middle of it? God doesn't solve the problem. What he does is he reassures us of his presence with us in the midst of the problem. I got to tell you something, that's enough. That's what faith is going, God, I trust what you have revealed about yourself to me. God assures us through his Holy Spirit and his covenant with us looks vastly different than it did with Abram. I don't know about you, but if I had a vision where it's like I fell asleep and all of a sudden I see like these dead animals cut in half apart from each other and a smoking pot and a flaming torch like is passing through them, I would not be thinking, oh Lord, you are making a great covenant with me. I'd be like, holy smokes, that's a horrible dream and I must have eaten some bad food that night. That's what I would be thinking. Why? Because that was a culturally relevant thing in that day and age that Abram understood what was taking place. He knew exactly what God was doing. And the truth is, is that God's covenant with us, we always have to read the scriptures through the lens of Jesus, right? So what we learn about God in a story like this is that our God is a God of covenant. The covenant looks different though. You see, covenant by definition is an oath bound promise whereby one party solemnly pledges to bless or serve another party in some specified way. You see, God made a covenant with Abram, but our covenant comes through faith in Jesus. You see, God revealed himself in the Old Testament primarily through his word, through prophets, through engagements with his people in certain ways, but yet what we see in the New Testament is that God has fully revealed himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We see in the Old Testament that God promises, he goes, right now my covenant is written on tablets of stone, I mean the Ten Commandments and this kind of stuff. But one day, a day is coming where I'm going to pour out my spirit and my covenant is going to be different. It's going to be written on their hearts. I'm going to establish a new covenant with you. And the new covenant that God establishes with us today comes through the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's at the Passover meal that Jesus is sitting, that we're going to be celebrating today. It's at the Passover meal that he redefines the Passover meal. And as he takes the cup, he says what? This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This is the new way that we are going to relate with each other. So our covenant is not from a smoking pot passing through dead animals, but it comes through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus through the way in which God revealed himself to us. And when we take God at his word, belief, when we believe in Jesus, what happens? Then we enter in that covenant that he makes available to us becomes personal And so we are now a covenant people with God through faith, and what? He assures us, he seals us with his Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful thing. It's like God has thought through this. It's like he knows what he's doing, and he's going, would you just trust me? So what? I mean, this is a lot of information, but it's important for us to see a truth here in this passage and a truth that we see in our lives. It's this, is that we build faith through experience. We build faith through experience. And this is what I love, is that we have a story of a guy like Abram. In chapter 12, he's introduced, he, he, he meets this God, and God says, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you a Give you a great nation, people, and land. I'm, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to establish a people to myself. And what do we see? It's right after that, Abram travels. He's following God. He's building faith. And then what does he do? Hey, Sarah, we're entering the land of Egypt. You're a beautiful woman. Um, say you're my sister. And what happens? He stumbles. And then we get to... T- Chapter 15, and Abram believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was a man of faith, was a man of belief. He trusted God, and we see this mountaintop, pinnacle experience of Abram. I believe you, God, and God's going, yes, that's what I want from you. And then we get to chapter 16, and guess what happens? God had just promised, you're going to have a descendant. It's going to be of your very own flesh and blood. And then we get to chapter 16, and what does he do? Sarah's like, well, we haven't had any kids, and you're getting older. One thing I've learned about getting older is when you get older, you never get younger. It's just weird. It's the way life works. And so Abram's getting older, and Sarah comes, and she goes, Abram, we're pretty old now. Here's Hagar, my servant. And and, and Abram goes, well, okay, this must mean what God meant. And so he gets Hagar pregnant. He has a son, Ishmael, and God goes, what'd you do that for? He's like, well, isn't that what you meant? No, you're going to have a son with Sarah. Oh, dang. So we see Abram just struggle in faith as he walks with God over time. And it, he grows so much in his faith that when we get to Genesis chapter 22, what happens? He has a son, Isaac, with Sarah, the son of promise. And God comes to him in Genesis chapter 22 and says, give me that son. Sacrifice him to me. And Abram says what? I've walked with you long enough. I've struggled with you long enough. I trust you. I don't know how this is going to work. And so he takes Isaac, and he has Isaac carry the wood. And Isaac's like, hey, Dad, question. um, What are we going to sacrifice? And Abram's like, "Mm, we'll figure that out once we get there. And God looks at Abram and goes, now I know that you're not holding anything back from me. The same is true in our lives is that it's as we struggle with Jesus that our faith grows. James writes about that in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or perseverance. It's as our faith grows, as we experience hardships. It's like, it's like a little child. When they learn to walk, they take steps, and they always lead with their head. You know what I'm talking about? And then they outwalk their feet and what do they do? They fall down and they fall down and then they lose their balance and fall down. But what happens? Do we we look at them and say, you must never be able to walk? No, we get them back up and we stand them back up and we say, keep walking, keep walking. And God comes and he brings his assurance to us and says, I know you're struggling with me. I know you're falling down, but I'm going to pick you back up and keep walking because it's in the struggle that we grow in the struggle that we grow in our faith. Why? Because God loves the pursuit. God loves and is pleased and is honored when we trust him. So what are our next steps this week? What are we going to do? Is this, is that if you've never made the covenant personal, if you've never made that covenant through Jesus personal, then maybe today's the day that you say, you know what? God has revealed himself fully in Jesus. I don't, I don't, I don't fully get it. I still have questions. Guess what? That's okay. It's part of faith. I don't fully get it, but I I know God has revealed himself. I know maybe you've heard about this Jesus before, and maybe today you're sitting there going, today's the day. Put your trust in him. Take God at his word. That is belief. That is faith. And that is what pleases God more than anything. So I'm going to give you a chance to pray in a minute. I'm not going to lead you through some special prayer. There is no magic words. What I'm going to say is tell God what's on your heart. Trust him. And maybe you're sitting here and I know a lot of you in this room and I know a lot of you watching online or the different venues, you've already placed your trust in Jesus and we're going to keep driving this home because it's so important. Who else needs this? Who else needs to make the covenant personal? Maybe it's the people on your three by five card. Keep praying. Why? Because when we pray, God works. But here's what's something we're going to do right now, just even in this moment is we're going to ask God a question because I believe that since we have the Holy Spirit as a seal, as a guarantee, that the Holy Spirit speaks. And so I want you to ask God this question. God, where am I questioning you right now? Where am I questioning you? And here's what I'm going to do in this moment. Ask that question and ask God when he shows you that question to bring assurance to you in that question. So I'm going to just give you a moment. Ask God, Where am I questioning you right now? Finally, here's what I'm going to ask you to do this week, is that I believe that God reveals himself to us in lots of ways, but one of the primary ways he reveals his character and nature to us is through his word. So I'm going to ask you to read more of Abram's story from Genesis chapter 15 through Genesis chapter 18, verse 21. Over the course of this next week, read that, asking God, God, what can I learn about your character and who you are? We're going to be taking communion here in a moment. After I pray, we're going to send it to the campus pastors, the venue pastors. They're going to lead each room in communion. Online, you'll be joining us, but we're going to celebrate the fact that we have been brought into this new covenant through the body and blood of Jesus. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you've brought us near. God, thank you that in the midst of our questioning, You bring assurance. You don't shame us, but you invite us to come to you with our questions so that our faith may grow. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna send it over to the venues here. If you're here with us in this room, the covenant has been made personal as we place our trust in Jesus so if you don't have a communion element they're they're in the back I'm going to encourage you hop up and grab one but Jesus when he was on the night that he was betrayed he was sitting with his disciples and he was having the Passover meal which was an ordinary common meal for them it, was, it wasn't ordinary it was special it was a special meal but it was yearly meal that they would celebrate together and as he was sitting around that table, he brought definition to that Passover meal. And he took bread, and after he had given thanks, he, he broke the bread, and he said, guys, I, I know you don't, you're not going to get this right now, but this bread represents my body. And my body is going to be fully given for you. And he says, do this whenever you eat of it in remembrance of me. Let's take together. same way. He took the cup and he uses that language, the language of covenant. He's essentially saying the way that people and God relate to each other is drastically going to change because, yeah, we have the sacrificial system, but God has always been a God who desires faith for people to trust him. And he says, this cup Is a new covenant, and that new covenant, that new way of relating, is going to be through my blood. And he says, Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for giving everything to establish a new way of relating with us, a new way that you give us your Holy Spirit, that we have direct access to you. There is nothing holding us back from going directly to your throne, a throne of grace, a throne of mercy. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. can't think of a better way than to come to that throne of God with praise. So let's go ahead and stand up and we're gonna sing a song about God being faithful then and faithful now.